Hey, City Life. How are we doing this morning? Happy Memorial Day weekend. We uh, celebrate those today who have um, paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And um, it's good to be in a country where we are allowed uh, to say that, um, that Christianity is a joke. Because one day, when um, the majority may believe that Christianity is a joke, we're allowed to say Christianity is true, that Jesus is the way. And so um, I celebrate the freedoms that we have uh, been given because of those who have, have paid the price for us. And so um, it's an interesting season to be in the United States as we grapple with what it means to have freedom of speech. And I believe that as Christians, we are going to be the prophetic minority soon. And that's not going to be a terrible place to be in. And I, I really hope that uh, we continue to have our freedom that we have today in this country. So uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 3. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible, we have them in the corner for you. You can keep them or uh, we can get you a study Bible. Um, have you guys heard of uh, King David? Most of you probably have heard of King David. I know that when I became a Christian, I had no idea who King David was. And so I've always committed to, uh, when I speak of someone from the Bible, I want to just clarify who they are. Um, King David was kind of a big deal in the Bible. Um, he was described as a man after God's own heart. He also made huge, terrible mistakes. Among his big mistakes was marrying several wives, um, cheating on his wives, uh, murdering a man. And yet after all that, he was described after a man after God's own heart. It's an interesting description for a guy who did all that stuff. Now before we judge King David... Uh, consider what you would have done if you were in charge of everything. If no one could tell you that you were wrong, what would you have done? And so I, I just want us to be careful not to judge him so, so quickly um, because, uh, matter of fact, much of what he did was submitted to the will of God and, and, uh, and he was able to call all the shots. So um, David and one of his wives, Makah, had a child. And that child's name was Absalom. Absalom, Absalom was a firecracker, but, you know, boys will be boys, am I right? Um, once, when one of Absalom's brothers did something horrible to one of his sisters, Absalom waited and schemed for two dang years, and then he got his brother drunk, and he had him murdered. King David was devastated, and he grieved over his firstborn son, Amnon. It took him three years, but David stopped grieving his son and longed to see his other boy, Absalom. Uh, then David was tricked into welcoming Absalom home, but boys will be boys, am I right? You know? uh, so later, Absalom wanted to talk to David's military commander-in-chief of staff, Joab, and Joab just would not meet with him. So what did Absalom do? He just set fire to a bunch of uh, Absalom's fields, which is you know, a good way to get someone's attention. It was a barley field, so being someone who's allergic to gluten, I'm, I'm okay with his decision, but uh, he that was the way he got his attention, setting fire to someone's field. But, you know, boys will be boys, am I right? So Absalom was known as the most good-looking dude in the land, and people started to look up to him for some weird reason, I guess because he's good-looking. Um, the Bible says Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Eventually, he was reconciled to his pop, uh, but then he decided he didn't like being subject to a king anymore. So what did Absalom do? He asked his dad if it was cool if he could go on a religious retreat. 
Now, for those of you who grew up in a home where you wanted to get away with stuff, oftentimes we would ask our parents, hey, there's this church thing. Can I go to this church thing? Are you cool with that? I'm going to go to it. It's super religious. We're going to go to that. And then what did you do? You did something else, um, which is why we, you know, we're going to check up on those things with our kids. Um, but he went to do that. And instead, what did he do? He didn't go on a religious retreat. He went and recruited an army, warriors, to overthrow his dad. But boys will be boys, am I right? David was driven out by his own son. He went into hiding. He feared for his own life. On one occasion, he was fleeing, and he stopped in a town on the way out of the vicinity. And there was an old man who was there, and this old man could stand up to him and start chucking rocks at David and cursing at him. And David's only choice was to get out of there. Like an old dude could stand up to the king and say, you stink, get out of here, we hate you. And and David had no recourse. An old man was throwing rocks at him with impunity. At one point, David felt like the strongest man on the planet. The next day, he was fearing for his life, watching an old dude throw rocks at him, cursing him. How demoralizing this must have felt. And that is where we pick up in our text, Psalm 3. This is David's response. Verse 1. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Now, before I move on, Selah is known as just a musical rest. Um, uh, Robbie Nagby calls it a guitar solo. Um, But all we know about Selah is it's a break. So we don't know why it's there, but this is a song, right? This is music. So we just have a break here. So whenever I read Silla, I'm not going to mention it again. I'll probably mention it every few weeks just to make sure people understand what's going on. But Silla, break. But I cry, but you, Lord, are a shield about me. Verse 3. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Silla. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be on, may your, blessing be on your people. Selah. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, our salvation belongs to you. All we have is from you. But God, I think if we're honest, like truly honest with you, there's times when we feel like we've earned and worked for everything we have. And often we feel like everything bad in our life is from you. We feel like uh, it's your fault. God, would you forgive us when when our perspective is skewed? Who are we kidding? You still forgive us. But we also ask that you would help us to live our lives the way that you want us to, not because you are this big rule giver, but because you desire good for us. You desire us to thrive. Lord, we ask that you are with those today who are suffering from addiction and mental illness and selfishness and sorrow this morning. Teach us to become more like you, not by our tight-fisted struggle to be awesome, but our willingness to release our grip to you and surrender to you the gentle king of our lives. 
May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to have three points for God's beloved people or those who have become a part of the family of God. I'm going to jump straight into them. I'm going to try and get you to your barbecues. Um, Point number one is that God's beloved will always have haters. God's beloved will always have haters. Verse one, it says, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Ooh, that line, many say there is no help for him in God. David has to have felt at this point that everyone is against him. Even his advisors stuck around to support the throne, which meant they were supporting whomever was in power, and that was his son, the little turd, Absalom. Consider the anguish when your friends turn against you. Your friends, your family, those who are closest to you at your work. Now consider what happens when your son betrays you. You raise that kid better than that, and he's betraying you. Can you imagine if many of your best buddies who fought alongside you were suddenly fighting for the other team? Pastor Sam Storm says this, David's anguish was no doubt magnified by the fact that his adversaries were primarily from among his own people. Those once closest to him, those in whom he had once placed his confidence and trust are now among those whose accusations are most bitter and hateful. So, uh, I really like this movie called Black Panther. Uh, not sure if you've heard about it. Um, but in Black Panther, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but what happens in Black Panther is that there is the King T'Challa. And King T'Challa is the sovereign king of the nation of Wakanda. But he finds himself overthrown. And um, he's overthrown by an enemy, a, a relative He's overthrown. The thing is, is he's got all his buddies there who can defend him and protect him. And there's a moment when you think they're going to come to his aid now. But instead, they choose to follow uh, tradition. And so what do they do? They back the throne, and they don't back T'Challa. They back the one who would think evil against him and try to destroy him. And so King T'Challa sees his general Okoye, um, that cool-looking lady with the spear and no hair, Stay with the throne. Fight against him. His good friend Wakabi fights against him. This is his friend. This is his buddy from childhood. And he's left to wonder, like, who is with me? T'Challa has to be thinking, did these people hang with me because I was important to them? Or just because my throne was important to them? Like, who are they really loyal to? And what does it feel like to have them loyal to a throne and not to you? And that's the same battle that David is going through. He's not only sad and hurt that someone might turn against him, sad and hurt that his best friends might turn against him, but he's also afraid that he'll be killed by someone he loves. What's that guy, what does that feel like? What does that feel like? I have no idea. But sometimes following God is lonely. When you seek to follow his vision for your life, it might include great victories. But sometimes when you are seeking after him, there are great, there's great moments of loneliness, dark nights of the soul. 
Is there something in your life that God has called you to that makes you feel isolated at times? Maybe at times you feel deserted. Well, I promise you, you are in good company. You are in the company of King David. And really, you're in the company of Jesus. When Jesus spoke, he said hard things to the people. And there was a moment when Jesus stood up, and I'm not even going to read from it, but there's a moment Jesus stood up and everyone left. What you are saying is hard, Jesus. Who can live up to this? And person after person from this huge crowd that had gathered to see him left. And there stood his disciples, his apostles. And he says, God says, are you going to leave too? Like God says this. Are you you guys going to take off as well? How must David have felt? Not only were people leaving him, but they wanted to kill him. A.W. Tozer says this, what we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. For each of us, the time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends and hiding places will be swept away and we shall have only God. To the man of pseudo-faith, it is a terrifying thought. But to real faith, it is one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. The one here that like, gets me the most in what Tozer says is hiding places. Isn't that a really interesting phrase? Like to think of, like, what, are, what are your hiding places? Where are the, what are the things you go to to hide? For me, sometimes when I'm stressed out, you'll know because I've watched like 10 movies. Um, that's my hiding place. Um, when I go surfing, I'm close to God. When I'm watching movies, I'm hiding. Now, it's interesting here, because David has all these like, people against him, and, and I'm, I'm left to ask the question, who is your foe? Um, and, and I want to like, make it very clear. Sometimes when we read this, we read this, this like, American triumphalism, this idea that we are David, right? Like, don't we read that into it? Like, we're David. We're not the people who abandoned him, but sometimes I think we're the other side. And I'm speaking to myself, um, But let me say this even further. Like, the real enemy here is not David's friends. The real enemy here is not Absalom. The enemy is the devil. It's not those who hate you that are your enemies. It's not those who speak ill against you. It's not the government that that tries to silence you for speaking truth. The enemy who seeks to devour you and your soul is the devil. Now, um, that may, might feel a little bit like campfire for you, and you're like, man, I came here to just to like read from the Bible. But there is one out there who desires to devour your soul. I'm so glad we have a God who protects you. So glad we have a God who's stronger than the one who would devour us. Let me say this. Your drug dealer is not your enemy, even though they use and abuse you. Your enemy is not the one who says terrible things about you. Your enemy is not that person who's trying to get you fired at work right now. Your enemy is one who you cannot see who schemes against you. But praise be to God that there is one who is stronger. So when haters hurt you, what should you do? And the answer has to be that we have to cry out to God, and that's our second point. That God hears the cries of his beloved and responds. God hears the cries of his beloved and responds. Verse 3 But you, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Believers, when you cry out to God, A, he will hear you, God will protect you, 
He will console you and he will answer your cries. In uh, Takumbo Adeyemo's Africa Bible Commentary, it says this, whether we are living in fear of spiritual attack by a sorcerer or physical attack by human enemies, we need to focus our eyes off our enemies and focus them on God. In this psalm, the turning point as the psalmist moves from complaint to confidence is marked by the word, but. He remembers that God will protect him just as a shield protects a warrior on a battlefield. So when you feel like mental illness is coming at you, there is always a but God. That's a funny thing to say. I don't even know. (laughs) But God is always present. And that's so helpful to know that whatever your struggle God is the one who can turn the tide. Here we see God is a shield about King David. This noun in Hebrew is pronounced magain. It's a shield that surrounded you and protected you. One author says that it's above, beneath, around, without, and within. And if you look even further, the word for shield here historically could also mean like a large object placed in front of a cave for your protection. So it's almost like you've been safely put in a cave where nothing can touch you, where no firepower can come upon you, where no, no bow and arrow, no sword can break through. You are protected and, and, and protected by a large rock. An impenetrable fortress is our God. God's protection is like no other. Now, where do we see this in the New Testament? Uh, I'm so glad you asked. It's in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Now, here's the cool thing. We use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So the Bible here is saying that the, sword, uh, that the shield that God has about us is not only a defensive uh, mechanism. The shield extinguishes the flaming arrows of the devil. We've said it before. The shield uh, that God provides with us is more like Captain America's shield than it is like uh, a defensive shield. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Why is that important? Because the gates are defensive. So when we think that the devil is out um, with power trying to take us down, we have to remember that he has defensive gates and the army of God is moving forward against him by the power of God when we look at this. Shields are the last... uh, Excuse me, gates are the last line of defense. This shield is an offensive weapon that God provides us with. So God answers the prayers of his children. But you know which prayers he won't answer? The prayers that we don't pray. It's important that we know that we cry aloud to God. It specifically says, I cry aloud to God. 
Now, some of you have been praying to God for a long time and still have not felt answered. But he's listening and he is present and he will answer in the way that is best for you and best for his glory. And I can tell you that from up here, when all your problems are mixed into a big bowl, I can say that, but when I'm sitting next to you and you're telling me how, how often you've gone to your knees and not had this answered, it is not that simple, is it? But we know that he's good and he's for us and he's present in the middle of that. And I can understand how you might feel frustrated if you pour your, ho- your heart out day and night and you don't feel like you're getting an answer. But we have to know he's present and he loves us. And if he's present and he loves us and we're still not getting an answer, that does not mean he doesn't love us. So if God hears us, then surely he responds though, right? And that's our our third, is that God sustains his beloved. God sustains his beloved. That's our third point. So it doesn't seem that he always answers the prayer. Now, there's, there's certain things that Jesus even says in the Bible when he says, ask anything in my name and I will give it. But there's another thing that he says where he says, ask anything in my name and I will surely give him my Holy Spirit. Well, hey, hey Jesus, I asked you for, uh, for a Tesla, you know, but you're going to give me your Holy Spirit. That's so much better. So sometimes when we ask him for relief from a hard situation, he presents us himself. And that's, that's good enough. Now, I can tell you in that moment, it doesn't feel good enough. And so it's good for us to continue to look inward and say, God, can you be enough for me? Can you help me through this hard thing that I'm going through? God sustains his beloved. In verse 5, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. So God helps me to sleep because I can trust he is with me and comfort me. Now you could read into that in a couple ways. One is that God uh, saves you as you sleep, protects you as you sleep. Another way is that he sustains you as you sleep in a quite different way. Now, this scholar from New Zealand, E.M. Blakelock, he speaks of this idea of waking up to the Lord's uh, sustenance. He talks about the idea where the brain is briefly washed in sleep, where for the briefest moment, your brain has a clean slate once again. But then the struggles rush back to your mind and your stomach aches yet again. It is there you are reminded of God's power, God's love, and his great care and concern for you. Have you guys ever gone to sleep struggling, worried about something, in conflict with someone else, worried about your job, and God, in his great mercy, allows you sleep? That is so good. God gives you this, like, wonderful short-term amnesia so you can sleep. Now, every once in a while, like even this week, I woke up at 3.30, and then I remembered stuff I was dealing with. (laughs) And I was done. I was done. Um, But at that point, I had to just take it to him. And so when you wake up, and God is no longer sustaining you to sleep, that's a good moment to say, maybe I need to go to him. I'm so thankful for the days when I struggle, though, because, because it is God who eventually helps me to sleep, and my struggle draws me to him. Can you imagine David trying to sleep with one eye open, waiting for his enemy to ambush him in the night? Like, you got to think, he, he taught his son some of this military stuff, right? you got to think, he taught his son how to track a man. Because David, more than a king, was a warrior. Like, David was a king because he was an awesome warrior. David was a king because he could kill a bear with his bare hands, right? That is why so many people looked up to David. Not just that God's hand was on him, but because he was the man. And David says that, God, you are my 
spiritual Ambien. God, you are my spiritual melatonin. You help me to sleep when my thoughts come at me, when my fears come at me, when I worry that someone is going to ambush me in the night. You are my rest. You are my peace. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, when we go to God, there are times when we don't even understand why we're able to get through it. You ever look at someone and say, if I were in your situation, I could never do it. And yet, God sustains us. And I would even say, um, and um, this is me stepping away from the pulpit just for a second, I would even say God sustains um, those who are not saved. That by, um, by his common grace, God sustains people to handle the hardest situations. But friends, uh, God is available now. But in hell, this will not happen. And he will not sustain them in the ways that he can even sustain those who are far from him today. Why? Because hell is a place where we have chosen to not be with him. Hell is a place where we have rejected his presence. And so there we will have nothing to help us sustain ourselves. But even today, when someone asks you, how are you able to deal with that? How are you able to deal with that? You just, you respond and you say, I just, I, I don't know. And it's because God is sustaining you. I'm back, I'm back to the, the pulpit again, okay? Um, because God is sustaining you, believer. <laughs> now, um, one of the things that I want to always say is I'm not against medication. I'm not against counseling. I think those are really important. Um, that when we uh, are sustained by God, sometimes he'll use a really good doctor. Sometimes he'll use a really good therapist. Sometimes he'll use your friends. But also, we can't neglect any of them. In some ways, I feel like um, when we deal with really hard things, uh, I almost feel like it's a three-legged stool um, for some of us. And some people will need, that's for, when some people um, need to be sustained, they need meds. Some people will need therapy. And everyone needs God. Um, I'm not saying everyone needs this, but I'm just saying this because um, I've been around too many people in our city who think that God is the only thing that will sustain them, and they're unwilling to look that God might send them a doctor. And I'm just saying, it's, for some people, it's going to stand on those three legs. And if you take out medication for some people, the leg will fall. If you take out God, it will always fall. If you take out good counsel, it will fall. Um, I guess that's not really a sermon, but I've just... Um, I've been dealing in our city a lot with people who think that if I just loved God more, I'd be okay. <clears throat> if I just loved God more, I'd be okay. And, and in truth, those people need good counsel, and some of them need med- medication. <clears throat> now, the thing is, is that ultimately, there's only one of those three things that is always necessary, and that's where God comes in. God is the only one that is ultimately necessary for us to have true peace and, and his presence is what provides us with that peace. Think about this time that uh, I went surfing at Crystal Pier, and uh, um, I had a friend who said, hey, you want to go surfing? You're from out of town. I said, all right, let's go, even though it's like 5 p.m., and I don't normally go surfing at night. 
um, mostly because I can't see, because when the sun sets, like, I can't see. Um, and so I went, and it's like all these guys that I'd never seen in my life. Now, the thing is, I surf uh, in the mornings, and I know everyone in, in the ocean. So then I have all these guys I don't know, and it's kind of creepy to me because I feel like I have earned my reputation or I have good enough friends that, like, lend me theirs. Um, and so I'm out surfing, and uh, what happens is, is I go to catch a wave, and I didn't see a guy behind me. I thought he fell, and instead he caught it. Now, by, like, wave rules, that's his wave, not mine. Um, and I didn't see him. And so I did something called cutting him off. It was a total accident. Uh, just like when you're driving and you cut someone off, you didn't mean to. And he starts cursing and yelling at me. And I said, sorry, man, sorry. Paddle back out, and he starts coming at me. Like, one of those people where you're like, dude, you just need to, like, just, just chill out. You're okay. Like, we're okay. It was like a one, two-foot wave. And he starts screaming at me. I'm like, hey, man, calm down. It's a two-foot day. Like, let's just not have a fight about this. No! And then he invites his friends over to harass me. And uh, I can tell you, at that point, I'm like... Dude, I'm not a terrible swimmer, and I'm not a terrible fighter, but, but while I'm trying to swim and fight, like, this just is not going to go well. Um, I'm going to drown. And um, I felt so much tension. Like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. It was an accident. And, and it was at that moment that these guys were kind of starting to, like, they kind of went away, and they started to build up their, like, group, and they're kind of all looking at me like they're going to do something. It's at that moment that my friend Jerry... My Irish friend, Jerry, who surfs every day, paddled out right by me. And all of a sudden, I went from this fear to peace. His very presence brought me peace because I knew that he could vouch for me. The fact is, those guys said, you don't know anybody out here. You don't belong here. And my friend, Jerry, could come and say, oh, Dale surfs here every week. I know Jerry. Jerry knows me. His very presence brought me peace. Now, that's just my freckled Irish friend who surfs a lot. What does God's presence do for you? Like the God, Lord, creator of the universe, what does it do for you? It's absolutely necessary for us. I had peace. Now, I can't promise you that God's tangible presence will make everything you go through seem okay suddenly. I can only tell you that when we seek him, he will be present, and he'll be present with us in our pain and our suffering. But even still, his presence can give you peace. And I'd like to end by, by returning to verse 3, where it says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. God is the lifter of our head. In the Brian Wintle South Asia Bible Commentary, it says, This dramatic image is a judge telling an accused man who kneels or lies prostrate before him that he may rise up because he has been acquitted or is to be released from prison. So how is this possible? Friends, this is the gospel. That God willingly sent his son from perfection in heaven. That Jesus willingly left heaven so he might come to this earth live a perfect life for us. Now, when he lives a perfect life, he does not live an easy life. He lives a perfect life, which means God himself took on viruses for you. God himself took on sweat. God himself took on splinters in his nails. God himself took on a job for you. God himself had a mom to boss him around or a dad to boss him around. God himself took on all the weaknesses of, of humanity, but was willing to live it out perfectly on our behalf. And then he was beaten and abused to the point of death. And he died on a cross as our perfect sacrifice. 
when he conquered sin and death and rose again, he was proclaiming that this was bigger than death, that his sacrifice for you was bigger than death, that his sacrifice and his love for you was bigger than death, that he was willing to die for you. So friends, what did that do? Well, we use a, a big word called justification. Justification is where you stand before the judge and he pronounces you good. That when we stand before the judge, Jesus says, I'm taking it on. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took on all our sin. And guess what? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we take on all of his righteousness. So when the judge looks at us, what does he see? He doesn't see everything you've ever done or ever will do. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, and that is good news. Friends, whatever you have done, Jesus walks directly up to you, and he lifts your head as a good judge. Whatever the devil accuses you of, and he would love to destroy you, when you accept Jesus as Lord, he calls you not guilty because he took your sin. He knows how you are feeling when you don't want to make eye contact with him, friends. But he offers you love and he looks you in the eye and he says, I know, child. I know what you've done. I know what you've been through. I know what's been done to you. I know what you have left undone. I know who opposes you. I know, I know, I know. And I know it hurts. But child, look me in the eye. You are forgiven. And I love you. I love you, child. I love you. God is called the lifter of our head for a reason. I don't think we can lift our heads up on our own. We can't lift our head and say, I've done all these things, so God, I'm not guilty. None of those things make a difference to him. None of those things can make you right with him. It is only the work of Jesus on the cross. For some of us, that's hard to accept because we just want to earn it. You can't. You cannot earn it. But the good news of that too is that you cannot unearn it. That when the love of God has been given to you as a free gift and you accept him as Lord of your life, it is solid. It is foundational. And he can lift your head every single time. His presence is here. All we have to do is call on him and we will be saved. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we are so thankful that even when our enemies pursue us, unseen or seen, God, when we are our own enemy pointing a finger at us and doubting us, you say, this is my child. God, it is in that spirit that we will silently confess our sins to you. God, we confess that our moments we would rather hide from you than have you look us in the eye. 
God, there are moments when we're just on a roll with our own sin and struggle and fighting against you that we would rather you not lift us up by our chin. Look us in the eye and call us beloved because we feel like we're just, we don't deserve to be beloved by you. We've done all these things and you know, we kind of have plans for tonight to do these things too. God, might we look you in the eyes with a true understanding of the sacrifice you've made for us, with a true understanding that you truly cleanse us and have a heart of thankfulness and a desire to seek your will for our life, not because you're this big rule giver, but because you love us so much. God, would you give us a vision for the reasons why you have made us the way you've made us? And would you give us vision for the fact that you have a plan for our life that's better than our own? And God, as we grasp onto these things that we want to hold onto, would you gently, with grace, release our grip? Would you give us comfort and understanding that we are truly forgiven when we ask with sincere hearts? Would you give us that full assurance of faith? And God, for those today who are far from you or do not know you, I ask that you would comfort them, lift their head, and let them know that they are a part of your kingdom. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.